1 Kings chapter 11 this morning, the foolish wise man. Scripture never blinks uh, to discuss the defects of the heroes. We like to think about Solomon as this great wise man, and he was. Uh, the gifted uh, British expositor Alexander McLaren, he said, its portraits do not smooth out wrinkles, but with absolute uh, fidelity give all faults. Uh, that's the amazing thing about the Bible is that it does give the faults of the, some of the men that were uh, the examples. I mean, you think about David uh, and his uh, affair there with uh, Bathsheba. We think about Solomon. And um, the biblical history that is seen in the record of the life of King Solomon it does give us the heirs of Solomon. It, it doesn't try to uh, elevate these men above to where they're at. They're men, and they made some very bad decisions. Now, God would give Solomon unusual wisdom, incredible wealth, and uh, great opportunities. But with all of these opportunities and responsibilities, uh, you know, in his older years, it seems like he turned to the Lord. Uh, he made foolish decisions. Uh, uh, he did turn back to the Lord, and maybe in the final days of his life, but uh, throughout most of, a lot of his life, his kingly life, uh, he turned from the Lord. And it uh, didn't end very well for him. It says in Proverbs 19.3, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Solomon wrote these words, and, and, he, probably be, and he believed them, but he didn't listen to them. You know, and sometimes we know, we have a head knowledge. I'm thinking back about the man that I served under there in New Mexico, a man that would preach uh, and uh, had some strong uh, positions. And, but in the end, what he taught, he didn't live out. And his family ended up dissolving. Uh, he remarried, and uh, it's just a mess of a family today. It isn't difficult to trace the steps in Solomon's downward path. So I want to look at the first eight verses. We're going to look at this entirety of this chapter. I don't know, maybe this week, if not uh, two weeks. Uh, verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women, uh, together with the daughter of Pharaoh. Women, the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. 1 Kings 11, verse 2, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build in high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense, and sacrificed unto their gods. Solomon is disobeying God's word. He's going back into Egypt. He's going back into idolatry. He's turning away from that which he'd asked. We had just read here recently, uh, there in 1 Kings chapter 8 and 9, uh, dealing with Solomon and his prayer of dedication of the temple. Lord, if we sin and we turn back to you, God, we need you. And he prays this extravagant prayer. And, and I was listening to a message this week 
I think it was Pastor Sullivan was preaching it, and he said when someone gets baptized, it's many times afterwards they're making that public declaration. I mean, it's like Satan just comes at them full force. He just attacks them uh, because they're, they're making a public declaration that I no longer want to serve the world. I want to serve Jesus, and I want to put him first. And that's exactly, I mean, it's like Solomon we read about this incredible prayer in this heart and the dedication and, and all the labors and all the gold and all the, the fine details that God put together. I mean, God put together the most exquisite professional team to, to assemble his temple. And yet Solomon takes all of this wisdom and all of this administrative skills and he turns back to Egypt. Now he secured a bride from Egypt. He purchased horses and chariots. Both of these actions reveal Solomon's unbelief. Uh, He had wives that were of Egypt and other places. Uh, Think about this, 700 wives. How could he have any business? I mean, he's so busy. You know, does he see a wife once a year? I mean, twice a year? I mean, it's just crazy. That amount, I, I don't even understand. It doesn't even make sense to me. But Solomon, he has the wives, but then with the unbelief of the wives, he also has these chariots, which they weren't supposed to accumulate all these chariots. God had given them the land. God was going to continue to give them peace, but they did. He didn't go with that. So he marries the Egyptian princess in order to establish a peace treaty with their father. He wanted horses and chariots because he didn't believe that God could protect the land. I need a strong army. I need all the latest and greatest technology. Uh, And so I'm going to accumulate to myself these things. When his father, David, had, you know, had written, uh, it was in Solomon's uh, creed here, in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You think about that, Solomon put his reliance upon fleshly abilities. His marriages, the horses, the chariots were in direct disobedience to the Lord. Look with me at Deuteronomy 17. Uh, 16. And I want to just uh, highlight this. I know we've gone over it uh, before, but it's worth repeating that it is so frequent in our mindsets that God gives us the ability to maybe to establish some things in our lives, and he'll, re- he'll let us have it. But in having that, what we're telling the Lord is, God, I'm self-sufficient. God, I can defend myself against the enemies. I can defend myself against uh, the foes that would seek to uh, get me off track of what you want me to do. When I begin to rely upon my own self, I'm going down the same dangerous road that Solomon did. In Deuteronomy 17, 16, But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses for as much As the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Look with me at Joshua 23. Why is it that we fail to just trust God? We fail to understand the character of of the Lord. And, and we don't trust that God's going to provide. We don't trust that God's going to protect. Uh, we just think, you know what, I'm going to do it my way uh, and, and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to succeed. I mean, you think about this, 700 wives. I, I imagine, I was just reading, you know, some of this week in, in uh, 1 Samuel, in a portion of my devotions, and uh, Saul, he had only had one wife. Now, Saul did go a wrong way. Uh, David, a man after God's own heart, but David had a woman, pro- a women problem. I mean, he had multiple wives. The problem of the father was multiplied in the f- 
problem of the sun. And that's a good lesson for us, that anything that I have as a fault could very well be multiplied in my daughter or other children that may, should God give them to us. But uh, Judges chapter 23, verse 12, Else, if ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. They shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. What's he saying? He says, listen, Joshua and Israel, you failed to purge Canaan land. You failed to purge the promised land of all these people, and they're going to be a thorn in your side. They're going to be a snare. And indeed they were with Solomon with these 700 wives. They'd intermarried. Uh, they had uh, mixed beliefs. Uh, it was a you know, it was eclectic. It was very uh, ecumenical. Uh, you know, it's this whole, like, uh, one world all coming together, and uh, let's live in harmony, and, and I'm all for peacefulness, but the fact is, there is a truth, and there's a falsehood. And these, the, the fathers, the grandfathers, the great-great-grandparents, their sins were affecting the downline, the descendants. Because they failed to act here, it's affecting. And that's a great lesson today when we think about it in our own lives. There might be sins in my life, two, three, four generations down, I could still be affecting my children and my descendants. Solomon's bad example in choosing wives created problems for Ezra and Nehemiah. Look with me at Ezra chapter 9, verse 2. Ezra 9, verse 2. When God begins to work on our hearts about sin, we need to deal with it. Because a failure to deal with it now, it only escalates much like an avalanche. It's kind of like a snowball starts out small, but the snowball going down that hill, it gets significantly bigger. And each generation, it can potentially uh, create tremendous havoc. And I'm bringing a baggage into the next generation. Because I'm, not fa- I'm failing to deal with it now, my baggage is going to impact the next generation. Ezra chapter 9, verse 2. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. So he calls Israel the holy seed. They're the perpetuators and the evangelizers of God. But it says they mingle themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And then in Ezra chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, if you want to look with me here. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now is there hope in Israel concerning these things. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. And so there's a dealing with this, and Nehemiah 13 also deals with the same passage. But in terms of biblical geography, Egypt represents the bondage of this world. It's a sinfulness. It's going back uh, to that which enslaved us. The wilderness pictures the unbelief of God's people today, as like Israel here, 
and they wandered and failed to lay hold of the inheritance of Christ. If you think about it pictorially or metaphorically, uh, the wilderness is a, is a position of unbelief. Because Israel could have very well gotten from Egypt into the promised land in a very expeditious fashion. But it was all of that murmuring, all of that complaining, all of that unfaithfulness and distrust of both God and, and Moses, their leader, that ended up leading them to an additional 40, you know, almost additional 40 years. They could have been there in several months by God's grace. And yet, they didn't get in. The promised land represents that God gives to those who trust Christ and submit to him and go forth to conquer by faith. There are great things that we can conquer if we will simply just live by faith. And I'm not talking about living ignorant. I'm not talking about living foolishly and stepping forward uh, in uh, just uh, without knowing that it's of the Lord. But I'm saying you know it's of God, you know God's leading, and you take that next step sometimes into an area that is bleak. I mean, you just don't know what it is. You know, shortly, shortly before, uh, when we had, back in 2013, when uh, God had called us up here, I, I was like, well, I don't know. And then after we knew it was the Lord's will, shortly after, my, my wife's uncle, he's a pastor, he's been here one time, he says, hey, I, you know, I heard there's a church there in uh, Hawaii. And I was like, well, Hawaii or Thompson? But I knew God called us here. And it was a step of faith. Taking out and going on deputation by faith, trusting God would provide. And uh, God has, all believers have been delivered from this world system that is contrary to God. We've been exhorted to claim our inheritance in Christ and to move forward. We ought not to aim uh, wandrously, aim, you know, just go around this, aim wandrously, <laughs> sorry, that's backwards. Uh, we ought not to just go around life, just going in circles, uh, going around without purpose, without vision, without mission. In Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. No believer has to trust this world for anything because we have received in Christ every blessing that we need. And I want to show you this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Just a little bit of review here, but I think it's worth noting Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Solomon got to the place of going back to the desert. Really, he put himself back in Egypt, if you would uh, say about it, if you'd think about it in that perspective. He put himself back in Egypt under the bondage. Because now he was having to worry about all these horses, all these chariots, all the laborers, all the taxes, all the, everything that he was now worrying about that he wouldn't have had to worry about. It. 700 wives, all of the children, all of the special occasions or whatever else went on. I mean, he had a thousand women to take care of in his harem. Now I'm sure he had multiple supervisors to help him with it. But nevertheless, I mean, that is an incredible, incredible, that's, that's a greater responsibility than God gave. And he put more burdens upon himself than what he needed. And sometimes we do that. We put more things in our lives than what we're supposed to have. Uh, and we cr increase our burdens. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's blessed us with spiritual blessings. 
Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Now that verse would go on if you want to look at that. It's quite a long section there. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. How often when we exist in a position of distrust of the Lord, are we caught in that desert place? We're empty, we're lonely, we're, uh, we're just, uh, we're struggling to move forward. Uh, we feel like there's more there, but I just don't quite know where to go. And uh, when any position is coming and God's saying, hey, I want you to move forward, I want you to take the next step, uh, oftentimes that fear you know, I, I don't know what's here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so we don't move forward because we don't know God. Ultimately, that's a, the factor is we don't trust God and we don't know him. Because if we knew him and we trusted him, we would happily take any step that he gives to us. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. By these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says, exceeding great and precious promises. Why do I need to trust the world? Why do I need to rely upon this world to uh, provide for me? Now, I, you might say, Pastor, well, I, I need my job, and I understand that, but God gave you that job. God gave you that position, and God can promote you. God can <laughs> demote you. Uh, God can transition you, uh, but the fact is I need to know that where I'm working and what I'm doing, that's exactly where God wants me, and if I'm where God wants me, exceeding great and precious promises, doing all that I ought to do for him. We're in the world physically, but not the world spiritually. And all of our needs ultimately come from the Lord, from the Father in heaven. John chapter 17. Just a little reviewing on some of the greatness and the promises of God. John 17, 14. John 17, 14. says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 15 of chapter 17 in John, John 17, 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but now thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the two, truth, excuse me. So he says, listen, you're not of the world, <laughs> you know, and Matthew 6, 11, give us, give us this day our daily bread. God says, listen, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you, like Israel, the manna every day. I'm going to give you exactly what you need every day. I'm going to provide. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the energy, but just follow me. Follow the cloud by day and the fire by night. I want you to follow me. I want to be amongst your presence as the tabernacle is there, positioned amongst Israel as they wandered in the desert, as they would moan and groan, and whenever any inconvenience or discomfort or uh, need would come, great was the murmuring and complaining. But how rare was their true faith. 
In Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God saying, listen, I'm going to supply everything that you need. The danger of marrying pagan unbelievers as we go back to our main passage here In Deuteronomy 7.4, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, and that's exactly what happened. We find here, it says, he clave unto these in love. Verse 3, end of verse 3, his wives turned away his heart. Verse 4, as was, you know, (laughs) was not perfect with the Lord his God. It also says that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Verse 9, because his heart was not turned from the Lord. Uh which had appeared unto him twice, Lord, you know, because his heart was turned, excuse me. Uh, So Solomon's heart had been turned. The Ammonites and Moabites were descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot. Remember that, what happened there? The Ammonites and Moabites, remember the, how these two children were conceived by the incestuous relationship of Lot, who was fleeing Sodom that was being destroyed, and his two daughters had such a, a worldly, perverted sense they would uh, get their father drunk and commit incest with their father. I mean, just a horrifically uh, perverted understanding of the world. And not only that, the Ammonites worshipped the hideous god Molech who would sacrifice their infants on his altars. In Leviticus 18.21, And thou shalt not let any of the seed pass through the fire to Molech, Neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord, name of thy God. I am the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 7, uh, let's look at here. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 29 to 34. I mean, this is, we're in the modern day here. I mean, this whole Molech and sacrificing children they do today in the abortion industry. Uh, and they sacrifice these children over. Uh, and they use the body parts and science and all sorts of things of these children that they've murdered. And they're okay with it, and now they're advocating it. The disgust and the perversion and the, the wickedness and the just awfulness of this whole industry. Not only that, we're defiling so many children and infants there in the Hollywood industry as it's just skewing Young people away from God towards absolute demonic beliefs. Jeremiah 7, 29, Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away. And take up a lamentation on high places, for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to pollute it. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place, and the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah, and from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. Wow. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 16. One more passage of scripture 
in the absolute evil of these wives at Solomon. And Solomon brought it in without any barriers. He brought them in without a consideration that lives. He, you know, he saved that one little baby's life from those two prostitutes. Those two women, one had slept on it, killed the baby, the other one. Uh, and so he, he'd saved the lives of these, this one baby. You know, he said, cut it in half. And the one woman was like, you take him. The other one's like, oh, sure, cut it in half. And he says, give it to the mother that said, take it. And, um, you know, he, we see his saving them here, but his one action was good, showed wisdom, but the other action, he's destroying hundreds of children's lives by allowing false belief. And how dangerous it is that we do not stand upon solid doctrine. Because you deviate on doctrine, you hurt others down line. Ephesians 16, 20. Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters, whom thou hast borne into me, and these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this of thy whoredoms a small matter? But thou hast slain my children, deliver them to, come, to cause them to pass through the fire for them. And in all thine abominations and thy whoredoms, thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth, when thou wast naked and bare, and wast polluted in thy blood, and it came to pass after all thy wickedness. Woe, woe unto thee, saith the Lord God. The verse would go on, but nevertheless, when thou wast naked and bare, and wast polluted in thy blood, here again is Judah and Israel in unbelievable wickedness. God calls it whoredoms. You're cheating on him. Chemos was the chief god of the Moabites, and Ashtaroth was the goddess of the people of Tyre and Sidon. As a goddess of fertility, her worship included legalized prostitution. Male and female prostitutes, and the worship was unspeakably filthy. You find Deuteronomy 23. We are in that day, I mean, I just... It's almost on a daily basis, news clips or something comes up, and I see the absolute disgust of a nation and a world that is bent on a perversion away from that which God has ordained. Deuteronomy 23.1, He that is wounded in the stones and hath his privy members uh, cut off shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. A bastard shall not enter the congregation of the Lord, even to his tenth generation shall he not enter and to the congregation of the Lord. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter in the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter to the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way, and when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Baor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Remember Balaam's donkey? And Balak was trying to pay him to curse Israel. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse and do a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their prosperity all thy days forever. Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou wast a stranger in his land. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. And so there was some horrible things that would happen. They didn't meet them on the way. They didn't help them on their journey. They came against them. 1 Kings 14, 24, and there were also Sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Sodomites, which is 
modern day, which we would say today is homosexuality. God calls it sodomy, and it's an abomination to God. God hates it. For, uh, 15, 12 of 1 Kings, going back there, uh, we find something else. I mean, over and over again, God hates moral perversion. He wants the sinner who's in that lifestyle to repent and come back to Christ. 1 Kings 15, 12, And he took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. God's saying, listen, get rid of those who are deviating from the moral structure that I've created. And our position is, you know, and it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that some came out of this lifestyle and were a part of the church of Corinth. But God hates a society that embraces that which is in contrast to who he is. And here is Solomon bringing in all of this idolatry which embraces this absolute perversion. 1 Kings twenty two forty six. going on, another position here that we see. And the remnant of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father Asa, he took out of the land. God is saying, listen, get rid of it all. We love, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? But we're not embracing it. We're not saying, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. The Babylonians also worshipped the goddess, and her name was Ishtar. Solomon had exhorted in chapter 8, verse 61, that the people's heart would be perfect with the Lord, undivided, totally uh, yielded to him alone. Yet here, just a few chapters later, his heart wasn't perfect with God. Solomon didn't abandon Jehovah, but he made him one of many gods that he worshipped. And that is the thing in our life that you think about this. Balaam, the god of materialism. Ashtaroth, the god of pleasure. That we can take materialistic things and put them on the same level with God. And, you, and, and it's so easy in our hearts that we can sometimes say, well, it really isn't the same. But God challenges at times. He may lessen or increase where we're at in regards to material possessions and our, our hearts. Where, where are we at? You can't make God one of the many. And, and we understand this, and I, I know that. And I know you know that. But this is a direct violation of the first two commandments that God gave them there on Mount Sinai. He is the only true God. In Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Now Solomon's compromise wasn't sudden. It wasn't overnight that he said, well, and now I'm serving God and now I'm against God. It was a gradual, slow transition. One wife after another, after another. And his heart began to, with the materialism and all the gold, and all the fame, and all the diplomacy, and all of the building, and, and everything that he saw. Look at how great Solomon is. Look at how wonderful Solomon is. But little by little, he made small steps that would take his heart to 180 degrees out with God. Solomon's compromise wasn't a sudden thing. He descended into idolatry. We find that from Psalm 1-1, right? <laughs> uh, as it talks about here uh, in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. 
He sat amongst the sinners. He would permit his wives to worship their own gods. We would, as we have spoken about before, he didn't uh, put his Egyptian wife's house near the temple. But it's kind of like a lot. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. He merely looked toward Sodom. He looked towards it. He pitched his tent toward it. So there was obviously something of appeal. And little bit by little bit by little bit till he finally had a house in Sodom and, and the rest is history. He eventually began to participate, Solomon would, in pagan practices with his wives. His sensual love for these wives was more compelling than his spiritual love for God. He was a man divided, a disobedient heart, and people who are double-minded are unstable, James 1.8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You think about this, 700 wives, 300 concubines, unbelievable paganism and idolatry. How can Israel anymore be a light to the nations? When they're supporting the very idols that are in opposition to God, demonic. He can offer incense and burn sacrifices to the Lord. But he started to include these false gods that his wives worshipped. Chapter 8, verse 25. What is it in our life that draws our heart and our attention away from being fervent for God? Fervent for doing God's business. Fervent in the evangelism of the lost. Fervent in our time with God's Word. So therefore now, verse 25 of chapter 8, Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David my father that thou promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel, so that thy children take heed to their way, that they walk before me as thou hast walked before me. Solomon deviated from that. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a cynicism and, and despair that Solomon would go through, realizing I've royally messed up. Questioning whether life was worth living. You know, without a close walk with the Lord, our hearts are empty. He pursued pleasure. Pleasure is pleasing for a time. Pleasure will help you, potentially, for a period of time. And then comes the reckoning. Like you could go, for instance, someone could go and enjoy themselves and enjoy the lights and enjoy, you know, this large whatever, (laughs) some uh, shindig or vacation or something, and spend a a tremendous amount of money and then come back and say, oh, wow, we've got so much debt. I mean, it comes to reckoning with this. and No, not necessarily, but even if you had the funds in going to do this and you come back, it's like, oh, I wish I was there again and I'm not there and I got to, you know, all these things can come through our mind. And Solomon had been living in the lights the grandeur of the world, only to find out vanity of vanity, all is vanity. His love for spiritual values was replaced by a love for physical pleasures and material wealth, and his heart was stolen. He was a friend of the world, James 4.4. 4. He was spotted by the world, James 1.27. I'm going to look at these real fast here, not real fast, but look at these this morning. James 4, 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So Solomon was an enemy of God. Verse 27, pure religion 
And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's definitely not the testimony of Solomon. And then he came to love the world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, and he was conformed to the world, Romans 12, 2. So this decline brought him into condemnation. Uh, you know, this whole, he would end up becoming uh, where the fact the world condemned him. He began to have a foes that would oppose him. He would lose things of this world, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. but when we are judged, we are chastened the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. And Solomon's decisions would end up bringing, I mean, as the people would come against Rehoboam after Solomon's passing, they would say, lower the taxes. Amen to that. But the fact is, as you think about it, they did not like the burden that their dad put upon them. I mean, he was so much to do. That's what happened to Lot. It can happen to believers today. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Genesis 14. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. The angels, get him out of there. You know, because uh, he was, first of all, he went into Sodom. He was taken captive by these other kings. They take him out. Abram comes and rescues him. Genesis 19, the two angels come. They get him out of Sodom again. Now, the first time he was kidnapped out. The second time, God's bringing him out. And then as he's leaving, he says, well, I, you know, they told him go to this location. And he said, I can't go that far. How about I stay here? He still wants to look back. His heart's still in Sodom. And the fact is, what's happening with Solomon, that is he, he's, he, he wants this world, he wants it his way. And with all that's transpiring, and God even says here, he says in chapter 11, he says, I told you twice. As we read these first verses. You know, in verse 9. Let's look at verses 9 through 13. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared to him twice, and he commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore, the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will do it for thy father, David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Albeit I will not rend away all thy, the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. God gave warnings. You can find this in 1 Samuel 16, 1 Chronicles 28, Jeremiah 17. That God searches the hearts and he knows what we're doing. You know, Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And here in verse 9, God says, listen, I've, I've appeared unto you twice. Revelation chapter 2, God tells that to the church there. That, listen, I searched the heart. Proverbs 4:23, Solomon could write in his earlier days, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. He let it go. He was not diligent about protecting his heart. He was not diligent about keeping his heart fixed upon the Lord. Other things came in. Other pleasures, other desires, other things, just little by little, and nothing inherently wrong at first. 
But that little bit of turning ended up getting him way off course. Since the the discovery of the circulation of the blood by William Harvey in the 17th century, everybody knows that the center of human physical life is the heart. What's true physically is also true spiritually. In Proverbs 7, 1 through 3, God tells us here, Proverbs 7, you want to turn there, Proverbs 7. You know, it's an evaluation that God comes into our heart, or God comes in and he convicts us and he says, listen, this area of your life, you're not dealing with it, or this area of your life, uh, it's starting to to taint your desire and passion for me. There's a lot of things that can steal our devotion to the Lord. Things that aren't necessarily bad. Things that are seemingly okay. But just a little focus off. That little focus off will lead to great disasters. Proverbs 7, 1, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. He says, listen, you've got to put my word upon your heart. Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You need to know that you're doing what God wants you to do. Because what you're doing will be questioned by others. It'll be questioned, you know, men pleasers. If I'm a man pleaser, I'm going to be going this way and this way and this way. You know, I'm just going to keep going back and forth. But if I'm doing the will of God from the heart, I know what God wants me to do. Naysaying, criticism, mocking, jeering is going to come, but I'm going to say, no, this is the course that God has said, and I'm not going to deviate from it. Solomon would go this way, and he'd go this way, and he was all over the place. If our heart is wrong towards God, our entire life will be wrong. And No matter how successful we may appear to be to others, we are a failure to God. Solomon's name and given the special name Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. But now we read that God is angry with him. He turned back on the wealth and the blessings that God. God gave him wisdom beyond his years, which he asked for. And what was the greatest blessing would be used to spit in the face of the Lord. Some of the greatest blessings that God may give to us, we can take them for granted. We can ignore the warnings that, hey, listen, I'm going the wrong direction. Other people might say things. Other incidences might happen. Opposition, conflict, things happen in our lives. And God says, listen, you're going the wrong direction. Turn around. Turn around. David had prayed for Solomon, encouraged him, Solomon, stay right. Twice the Lord would appear before Solomon and encourage him to do the will of God and build the temple. Twice the Lord appeared uh, before the Lord in chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 9, verse 2. He reminded him of the terms of the covenant of 2 Samuel 7. Listen, if you follow me, there will not fail to be a man to sit on the throne of Israel forever. Solomon knew of this covenant. He would have to write out the covenant. And every seven years, they would read the entirety of the law. We don't know how God delivered this warning to Solomon, but he did. 
God warned Solomon, and after his death, the kingdom was divided. Rehoboam took uh, Judah and Benjamin, and the rest of the ten tribes would go with, Rehob- with uh, Jeroboam. Excuse me. There was a tear. Ahijah the prophet would tell uh, Jeroboam, who would take a robe, a new robe, and tear it into twelve parts. Were it not for God's covenant with David and his love for Jerusalem, the city where the temple stood, God would have taken the entire kingdom away from Solomon's descendants. God promised David a dynasty, and God stayed true, though Solomon was a failure in that. Now we know, the, obviously, the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, which was upon God, God, it was conditioned upon God, and it was held by God, was the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne forever, a descendant of David. Luke one thirty two and 33. Uh, Luke one sixty nine And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. God's name is upon the temple. He preserves Jerusalem. And God's covenant was with David, so he preserved David's dynasty. Such is the grace of God. There's no evidence that Solomon you know, would take this, evident, take this warning to heart. And had he remembered his own dedication prayer, he could have looked towards the temple and confessed his sins to the Lord. And as we think upon this, the warning to Solomon, I pray that we would just, you know, think about our own. What are some things in my life that are potentially taking me away from a full mindset of serving the Lord? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you uh, for your wonderful grace. And God, I just pray. It's so easy to be taken off track. Father, I pray in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would just have an open, receptive heart to hear that, Lord, you're, if we are going off track, God, that we'd be found faithful. Lord, I yield today to thee. I love you and thank you for being such an amazing Savior. Help us to be found faithful. In Jesus' precious name I pray.